Live from the Motor City, all the way to the Volunteer State, it's time for the Reckless Speculation Podcast, where we recklessly speculate the latest news in the world of sports, from college football to NASCAR. We've got you covered. And don't forget to stick around for the world-famous Bet Your Nuts, where we will give you your best bets to make the most money. Now sit back, grab your favorite drink of choice, and join Robbie Davis, Raj Mehta, Brandon Chain, and Tom Sloan. It's showtime. Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name's Robbie. I'm the host here of Reckless Speculation. Thank you for joining. I just want to comment that I love my little chipmunk-looking picture on the intro. Uh, Tom really got the best of me there. Um, but yeah, welcome, everybody. It is June 29th. I cannot believe it's already the end of June. Uh, this year's flying by. We have reached the uh, dog days of summer, but don't worry. We're going to keep you guys entertained. Um, we just had the... NBA draft last week, the NHL draft um, last night, and obviously we all know the NFL draft was just, you know, just past a few months ago. So tonight what we're going to be talking a little bit about is the best and worst draft classes. Uh, Brandon and I being Titans fans, uh, we have had our share of trouble with uh, the draft. The Lions and the Raiders speak for themselves. Um, We're going to dive into all of that. Um, we're going to talk a little baseball and then a little bit of just, you know, life stuff towards the end. Um, but if you can, if you're on already, if you please like, subscribe, it really helps us build our audience and get, get reach more people. Um, this show is being brought to you by CNW Construction. They have a little bit of everything. They need full house builds, fireplaces, pools, remodels, porches, anything you need. In the greater Franklin, Nashville area, um, they're your go-to. It's also being brought to you by, disclaimer, my law firm, Davis, Kessler & Davis. We specialize in uh, personal injury, getting cats out of jail, uh, criminal defense. There's a new boating under the influence law that's coming into effect this weekend. So you that's in Tennessee, beware. Um, a BUI is now treated the same as a DUI. So uh, be safe out there. I know a lot of people go into the water, so be safe. Um, without further ado, uh, and I'm gonna, this is something that, uh, we've been on this show. We've been doing this for two years or so. Um, I have never had the pleasure of doing this, um, because it's been an impossibility, but tonight for the first time, I am going to introduce Raj Mehta first. What do I do? Have you ever seen an introduction? What, what do I do? I don't know. I didn't know what to do. So uh, hello, people. Say hello to Raggio, who my uh, eight-year-old, now nine-year-old, uh, very different from any other popular cartoon figure, uh, Japanese or otherwise. So uh, he painted him to make sure we don't infringe on any trademark or copyright laws. And uh, yeah, me and Raggio are ready to go. Um, speaking of trademark and copyright laws, I've got to tell you that we are all, you know, it's an hour show. We are going to be powered by Jack where there we go. Some single barrel. Mm. And then I've got my cup ready for the, for the close up where 
Every day we make it, we make it the best we can. Oh, Jack Daniels. There we go. I got the Jack Magnet on my mini fridge in my office, which is um, uh, up in Franklin, just back from Aruba vacation. Brandon Chain. What's going on, boys? Enjoying old Jack myself. Can you believe it's the end of June already? Oh my gosh, this year's flown by. I mean, uh, it really, it really has. Crazy. We, uh, for those of you who aren't in Tennessee, uh, the Canadian uh, fire has made its way down here, and so we have been very hazy and smoky today. I know Tom's been dealing with it for the past couple of days. Well, and without further ado, Tom, welcome. Good evening. I am uh, enjoying some uh, bush latte peach. Ah, ah, yeah. how's that? It's way too good. Way uh, too good. I bought a, a 30 pack last week and not much left. Not much well, left. luckily, there's more 30 packs to come. Uh, <laughs> anyone, anyone have any big uh, Fourth of July cookout plans over the weekend? Nothing. Just hanging out here. The weather here is supposed to be pretty lousy. Um, fireworks on Sunday night in the lake that we keep our boat. So we're fingers crossed we'll get a nice day for that. But uh, it's going to be doing a little Blackstone cooking in the garage. Probably. Nice, nice. Um, well, with uh, out further ado. Oh, you're muted. Don't know how that just happened. Uh, without further ado, let's get into our topics today. Uh, we're talking about draft classes, and we're not. There's there's some that are, you know, they say they're inarguable, and they say, you know, this is the best hands down. But we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, one across the board. This came into a topic of what do we think is the best in each class, blah blah. blah. Or the best NBA class, the best NHL class, NBA class, or NFL class. But then we started thinking about, you know, messaging back and forth. What's the best overall year class that we have? And uh, so let's just show some examples of, uh, you know, uh, some some top five classes, and let's talk about it. Obviously, you got Magic, Bill Cartwright, Bill Lambeer, Larry Bird. NFL, Joe Montana, Kellen Winslow Sr., Phil Sims, Dan Hampton, MLB, Gary Gaddy, Don Manningly, uh, NHL, Gretzky, Ray Bork, Mark Messier, and uh, Michael Goulier. I think that's right. Is that right? My it would be Michel. Michel, Michel Goulet. Yeah. Always the one reading the names with the pressure. Um, and then what do we got number two listed on here? So for those who are listening and not necessarily on YouTube, 1981, Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, Tom Chambers in the NBA. NFL is where it gets interesting. Lawrence Taylor, Ronnie Lott, Mike Singletary, uh, Howie Long, Ricky Jackson, Russ Grimm, MLB, Tony Gwynn, Joe Carter, David Cohn, NHL, uh, Del Horachuk, Ron Francis. Howard Chuck. Howard Chuck. I should probably let you read the, the – Hockey ones. Grant Fuhr, Al McKinnis, and Chris Boom. Chelios. All right. And then 83, then we'll do one more. So Clyde Drexler, Ralph Sampson, NBA, obviously the NFL class. Elway, Marino, Kelly, Bruce Matthews, Daryl Green, 
Eric Dickerson, Richard Dent, a star-studded class, MLB, Roger Clemens, um, Steve Eiserman, Pat LaFontaine, Cam Neely, Dominic Hasek, uh, <laughs> a lot of, lot of Trechiak, Vladislav Trechiak, and Vyacheslav Fetisov. Uh, so Brandon in the in the preview room saw this coming. It was already laughing at me before <laughs> I got there. <laughs> oh, better you than me, man. I would have put it worse. So. <laughs> uh, and then we'll go one more, and then we'll talk about it. who's who's the fourth class over there. Ah, of course, the 1984 class. Obviously, the NBA: Jordan, Hakeem, Barkley, Stockton. And this is where it got interesting. I didn't realize this was the same class in the NFL. Steve Young, Reggie White, Gary Zimmerman, Carl Banks, Boomer Sison. And then in baseball also, McGuire, Maddox, Glavin, uh, Leader, Leiter. 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 And then also a stud class in the NHL, Mario Lemieux, Patrick Waugh, Brett Hull, and Luke Robitaille. <laughs> Robitaille. Okay, right, Robitaille. All right. Now that now that, that embarrassment's out, um, let's talk about it. Tom, we'll start with you because you're going to have the NHL knowledge that we're going to have to lean on while we judge these classes. Well, uh, looking at those, I the 83 draft for me, I, I think up and down is amazing, especially with the the NHL. Steve Eisenman, obviously, uh, the captain, we call him around here. He's now the GM and. Let's hope hey, I got that, Eisman uh, or I knew that. Let's hope that uh, he figured this out. He's in year five of his quote rebuild. But uh, so you look at Eisman and Pat LaFontaine. Pat LaFontaine grew up about a half an hour just north of here in Waterford, Michigan. And he actually has a his family has a, a whole lot a line of car dealerships throughout the area. So Cam Neely, Lely, Cam Neely was a legend in Boston. Hashik. Won a cup here in Detroit, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. Uh, Trechiak uh, with the Devils and Vyacheslav Fetisov, who also played for the Devils, but finished his career in Detroit. So you have basically... Isn't that how I pronounced it? Uh, Vyacheslav Fetisov. Number two. Uh, <laughs> so three of these players played for the Red Wings and all won cups with the Red Wings. But that um, NFL well, let me, let me give you some pushback, though. Isn't this is, as great as the NFL and the NHL is in this class? Isn't it dinged a little bit that only one MLB player and two NBA players are there? Yeah, and the one NBA or MLB player is, you know, riddled with uh, controversy with, with his uh, PED usage and whatnot. Yeah. But, I mean, with that being said, he still was – the most dominant pitcher of his time. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was down, but then when you look at the NFL draft alone, I mean, there were six quarterbacks taken in that, that draft. Well, it's, it and was, Clyde was, won, Clyde won two rings with Houston. Did yeah. Sam, Samson, I know he won his college championships. He went, win an NBA championship. No, I don't believe so. I, I don't think, think so either. No. no. Um, um, all right. That, no. that, that's a good, that's a good choice. 1983. Chain, what do you think? Man, I'm struggling with the years because it's – I would probably agree with the 83 year, but I, I went just 
strictly MLB versus NBA versus NFL. All right, let's hear what you got. So I've got um, MLB. I've got McGuire, Maddox, Glavin, uh, Leiter, and then a close back and forth here. Bonds, Johnson, Smoltz, and uh, Barry Larkin. I mean, that was a, a solid class as well. So I think the years kind of got ding, like you said, to, to fit in the overall year category. But those were my two favorite MLB classes. Uh, NBA would be Kobe, Ray Allen, Allen Iverson, and Steve Nash. Um, and then LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Carmelo Anthony. So you're going those both of those classes over the 84 class. I am. Okay. Personally, that's just how I grew up watching those people more. So, you know, um, I, I tend to lean that way. And then NFL, I've got, of course, the L.A., Marino, the, the same one, Bruce Matthews, all that. Um, the other one I had, I think it was the uh, Ray Lewis one. I didn't have enough room on my scratch paper to write it down. So let me look here. Yeah, I believe it was the Ray Lewis. Yeah. No, it was not. Hold on. One second. Uh, oh, yeah. Andre Johnson, Terrell Suggs, Troy Palmalu, Anquan Bolden, Jason Winton, Antonio Gates, Carson Palmer. So let me ask you this. So you have the – going back to basketball uh, – after those two drafts, do you, the the '96 and the 2003, do you have '79 or '84 as your third slot? So '79 was the magic. Yeah, bird. I would. I would probably take. That's a close one, man. I'd probably go '84 just because Jordan's in there. Yeah, and. and Charles Barkley is just classic. He never won a championship, though, I don't believe. He did not, no. But um, Hall of Famer in his own, and, and Stockton was amazing as well. Uh, and, of course, Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, so I would, I would lean that way. I just – those were great. And that, that I struggled with that one too, but I looked at um, quantity as well versus just a – you know, a lesser quality. So, or not. Well, in both of those drafts, it got interesting. Who was the fifth part? Cause like you can make exactly. an argument for both of those top four being just incredible. Um, Raj, what do you got? Uh, either t overall in the totality or sport by sport. Uh, I mean, I don't really go sport by sport. If, if you're saying MLB, I go the year I was born, which means I'm fucking old, but 1976, mainly because of two Detroit Tigers in honor of Tom, who will know that uh, Jack Morris, the pitcher, and Alan Trammell, um, Mike Sosha, the 1988 Dodger catcher for Oral Hershiser, um, and Fernando and, and that championship team with Kirk Gibson, and uh, Wade Boggs, but of course, Rick, Ricky Henderson, who's the biggest gangster of all time, not only did he steal bases, but he referred to himself in the third person, which is fucking awesome. And so uh, I love him. But really, overall, like um, I, I think the 1983 NFL draft, I think I counted 16 guys that played more than five years in the NFL uh, that most were all pros. 
Now, now one caveat, 1983, 1984, 1985, was the USFL was around. So some guys, like as Tom would know, the University of Michigan, uh, three-time All-Big Ten, I think one or two-time All-American receiver Anthony Carter, who was on Minnesota and later on Detroit, like right up Tom's alley. Um, no, you're right, Tom, he did. But uh, he was drafted second to last. Back then, the NFL draft was 12 rounds. He was picked number 334. Uh, the guy had 7,700 yards, 55 TDs, and 400-plus uh, near 500 receptions. So he was drafted in the USFL. Irv Eatman, a tackle, same thing. But if you go down, you know, Roger Craig, Tim Crumry, iconic guys from January 22nd, 1989, which was Super Bowl 22, San Francisco and Cincinnati. Um, you have all those Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but speed receivers, Willie Galt, uh, Henry Ellard. Uh, interesting thing about Willie Galt is he was one of the first guys to do ballet as a receiver, and he admitted that, and that was for the sidelines. Um, it was a different NFL then, and they were evolving, um, and that was with McMahon and Walter Payton, but that's another conversation. Uh, Marvin Fernandez, and then, again, Richard Dent was a Hall of Famer in the eighth round. So I have to go with 1983 overall, 85 NFL, 2003, and like you guys said, 84 NBA. Uh, other guys that produced that year late picks, Atlanta Hawks, uh, Forehead, uh, Kevin Willis, and super chronic Sam Perkins, who always looked like he was high when he played. Um, I like it. I like it. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you guys are pretty spot on. Uh, the uh, I, I, I do tend to somewhat agree with Brandon, that 96 draft with Kobe, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Iverson, Pages, Stoakovic, Marcus Canby, Stefan Marbury, Shreem Abdul-Rahif, Jermaine O'Neal, Derek Fisher. That's a lot of championships in there. And Kobe drafted at 13 by yeah. Charlotte. Traded yeah. with so, Lonnie Devots, so, Jerry West. Uh, yeah, a lot of people missed on that. Uh, <laughs> really I kind of like that one. Uh, so next, we're speaking, keeping with drafts. So we talked about the best, and now we got to get on the flip side of the worst. And so the biggest draft bust. Now – for some of us, this may be personal. Uh, I can think of one person in particular that it's personal. Um, so let's start off with, um, and these don't have to be, um, you know, exclusive of each other. Like the, the, the biggest draft can be your team's biggest draft. So let's talk about individual right now, the biggest draft bust um, that you can recall. So, so overall, any sports, what's your biggest draft bust? Brandon, we'll start with you. Aside from the Cleveland Browns quarterback selection, which would include – You're going to have to be more specific than that. <laughs> it, uh, I would say how many quarterbacks have they gone through in the last 15 or 20 years? Uh, two of them off the top of the head is Brady Quinn, Johnny Menzel. Um Really big bust there. Uh, another old school big bust in a draft was Steve Spurrier. Uh, he was terrible, and he was considered to be on one of the worst Tampa Bay Buccaneer teams ever in history. Um, he he was great in college, obviously coaching and playing. Uh, his stint with the Redskins in the NFL is also 
equally as terrible as his play. Um, but the overall number one, probably unanimous biggest bust. I'm going to stick with the NFL, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, he uh, he's a pretty obvious one to go with. Uh, obviously, tons of potential. Um, a couple of good Sugar Bowls really propelled him to the number one pick by um, Raider. Raiders. And so um, we'll see if that – Tom, what do you got? Well, who's your biggest bust? Well, actually – Jamarcus Russell is rated number five on uh, Bleacher Report's top 50 uh, biggest busts in all of sports. Uh, to me, <laughs> this one this one hits near and dear to my heart. Uh, 2003 NBA draft, as we all know, was incredible. Darko. LeBron. Dwayne Wade. Chris Bosh. Carmelo Anthony, blah, blah, blah. Joe Dumars decided he was going to go to Serbia to take this uh, then 17-year-old kid. Yeah, he's been playing professional basketball there for three years. Darko Milicic, the human victory cigar, averaged a total of, I think it was 4.6 uh, points in, in his NBA career. Uh, finished off athletics as an MMA fighter, and now he has a farm back home. So. Um, ironically enough, the biggest bust per Bleacher Report was Lawrence Phillips, who was this huge uh, running back coming out of Nebraska. Nebraska. He was, yeah, he was drafted by the Rams, uh, number six overall in '96. Uh, had problems with the law in and out of prison. He is now deceased. Uh, so he Got was on. number one. Ryan Leaf number two. So uh, that we all know his his issues, but. For me, it's Darko. I mean, because with the way that draft, and if not for Joe Dumars making the great decision to bring uh, Rashid Wallace in, they would have never won a, a championship. And and luckily, we did. So Darko was a, a an afterthought for the most. Well, part. Yeah, and and this is where it gets tricky, like because it's like uh, you know, if you say Ryan Leaf, but I'm not sure there's a good quarterback behind him that they could have picked. I mean, you could. You, and I'll let Raj talk. You could argue one of the biggest busts or one of the worst picks was uh, the Bears taking Mitch Trubisky over um, Patrick Mahomes. Um, Raj, what do, you, who, what do you got your biggest pick? Actually, my, my biggest bust is not even on this list, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think the Lawrence Phillips thing is stupid. Um, he was a great player. He had some good NFL years. There's a great documentary on him that Showtime had made. Um, if you want to talk about a difficult upbringing, it's that guy. And I'm not rationalizing per se. I think Bleacher Report and others viewed him as the next Herschel Walker, which uh, he really was athletically, but he had just incident after incident in his life and made bad decisions, and back then was chastised with no ability to defend himself and, um, you know, no ability to, to speak out. You know, social media, you can chastise, but you can also rationalize right after. So he was just hammered, and it was self-nullifying behavior. And sadly, you'll find that, uh, you know, with Ryan Leaf, it became drugs. 
And Tony Mandrich was the one I was going to go with. Uh, it was steroids. He was a guy that was featured on Sports Illustrated uh, in that year, in I think 1989 NFL draft, Aikman, Oklahoma, transferred to UCLA, of all things. Uh, by the way, finished third in the Heisman voting that year. Number two was Rodney Pete. Number one was a running back uh, by the name of Barry Sanders, um, who actually went third in that draft behind <laughs> Mandarich. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the uh, Detroit Lions should be very thankful of, for Green Bay, uh, which is rare. Derek Thomas and then Dion. Uh, but, you, you know, Todd Marinovich, Lawrence Phillips, Jamarcus Russell turned to the purple drink. Uh, you know, it was said that Al Davis saw Jamarcus throw the ball from the 50-yard line into the end zone from his knees and drafted him because of that. Similar philosophies were used for Darius Hayward Bay and others, but we'll get to that later. Um, but really it comes down to, like you said, uh, you know, the guys drafted behind you and, and it's a massive, what if not everyone needs needed a quarterback per se. Um, but I, I thought of, of, of Mandarich just because of green Bay's need for an offensive tackle at the time was not the same. And there was just so many athletic players drafted around him, just sheer yeah. athleticism. And everyone thought he was a freak. Uh, and really, it was pretty clearly roids. And uh, it showed right away. Yeah, my biggest bust, and partly it's just because of uh, just a lack of time in the league and in a sport where if you have size and you have girth, like you can play it. Um, it's Anthony Bennett from UNLV that was drafted number one from Cleveland. And, he had size, all right, from in and out. In a, in a draft class where there was really no standouts, if you're going to gamble, Giannis Antetokounmpo was sitting there, 15, gamble on him, and that franchise has changed. Um, you know, I mean, he was easy fat in college. college. It was What's just that? He was fat in college, and then oh yeah, when well, a little bit, a little, a little bit of, of Zion going on with him, and this this oh. this is coming from a fat guy, but I'm also yeah, not trying to play in in the NBA. You're also not 20. Um, all right, so Raj, we'll stick with you in a team that or in a subject that you could probably spend the whole hour talking about. What's the worst pick the Raiders have ever made? I mean, this is just the millennium. I think anything <laughs> you just start with the best pick they made was a kicker in the first round. I mean, if you start there as your baseline, that's some that's some linear fantasy football strategy there. It's again, the draft is about value and 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 need and not about metrics and the I mean literally I Tyler Brayton, first round Colorado. Robert Gallery, offensive tackle number two overall, ended up switching to guard and having a decent career, but he was so slow. They were the only people that didn't see that. Conversely, Darius Hayward Bay at number seven, uh, wide receiver from Maryland. He just ran the fastest, whatever, 40. Awful receiver, couldn't get open. DJ Hayden, fastest DB out of Houston, uh, 2014, I think. I can't remember. Uh, Rolando McLean. No, no, nobody, lo nobody loved the combine more than Al Davis. He, oh my God. He it loved was that so thing. pathetic. It, you know, Farrell, Ruggs, Michael Huff. Um, and again, Marinovich, that's going before, and Jamarcus. But there are, I think, 
from 2020 on, I would say 14 first round picks were complete and total busts. <laughs> I mean, think about that, dude. And this is a team with multiple first round picks because the few players they did have, they traded away as if they knew what they were doing. I mean, honestly, people wonder why I drink a lot <laughs> because I don't have hobbies and I've been a Raider fan since 1982. Oh, so, so, so what is it? Is it Leatherwood? Is it? Oh yeah. Forgot about that fat idiot. Um, the worst dude, it's hard for me at Farrell was really tough. Cause he had, there are a few guys though, that had like a second or third round grade, like Hayward Bay, um, McLean to Ohio state DBs and it's like if I had three kids asking me to pick the one I love the most, there are so many that I hate that I, I just can't pick one. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. We'll go from that to the miserable lions. Tom, what, <laughs> what, what is your draft history? What, what's what's oh. your, just the one you can't get over? Well, we'll start with the year after Barry Sanders, who won the Heisman. Uh, Andre Ware out of Houston. The Lions draft him number seventh. Uh, he was a complete bust. There was so much hope and hype. Uh, the Lions ran the run and shoot offense. The Houston Cougars ran the running gun, similar style offense in Houston. It just never equated to much. Uh, the the aforementioned USC Trojan Rodney Pete uh, won him uh, beat him out of the job year after year, and eventually the Lions uh, parted ways with him. We're gonna go uh, 2003, the number two pick. This is the cornbread Kool Aid pick for the Lions. Charles Rogers out of Michigan State who. Broke his collarbone, I believe, in his second game as a professional and came back the next year and he re-aggravated the injury and never played for the Lions again. He, he was in and out of games. Yeah, he, he was in and out of trouble with the law and he has since uh deceased. He died a couple years ago. Uh and then in 2005, when they decided to challenge the NFL about the the ruling of age, they go and draft Mike Williams out of USC and another hype train. Oh, I forgot about this. Another hype train, uh, very immature, thought he was better than the game. The league absolutely ate him up. He never really amounted to a whole lot. Uh, and who could forget the number three pick 2002, the lovable Oregon Duck. Joey ball game, Harrington, uh, man, he just, they, Matt Millen was probably the worst general manager of any sports franchise in the history of sports. And he just absolutely blew the bunny when it came to these draft picks. And thankfully he's gone and the former regime's gone and, uh, they have a different, uh, culture that's changed and they're a little bit more i, I always just kind comes... of wondered what his relationship like because like he's horrible he was horrible at his job yeah. kept his job well, i'm like i don't understand it i think uh the general or the the president uh ford basically liked him he was a really good uh play-by-play guy for fox 
Yeah. And they just decided they wanted to go a different direction and, and brought him in. And he was, he, he may be worse than the, the previous regime, which around here, we're not allowed to use those names. So we just refer to them as the previous regime. Um, all right, Brandon, I'm interested to who you got. I know who I've got. Who is the Titans' worst pick ever? And we, Tom, we are on no shortage of quarterback busts in oh, our franchise. Either. I've got a long list of really, really bad picks. Uh, <laughs> but the absolute worst pick to me is Isaiah Wilson. It's got to be. Uh, out of Georgia. Yeah. I mean, 29th overall, first round. He played, no, not even just one game. He played three snaps in the NFL. Three snaps in the NFL. And then we traded him to, I think, the Dolphins for a seventh round pick. And then they they cut him. Like, to the way you're, on. you're on mute, by the way. I can't hear you. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Just one of J. Rob's reasons. I think he got fired. Um, but yeah, other than him, you can go through our quarterback list uh, as long as you want. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota. I knew when we picked him, that was just going to be terrible. He was a systematic quarterback. He saw it at Oregon. Saw how steep beat them. Um, he just. It, all he could do was scramble with his legs, and he was good at that. And he's he's been serviceable, but as far as the number one pick, no. And you know the whole Vince Young ordeal, of course. Uh, Bishop Sankey was another one. Uh, he was we got him in the second round. He was a pretty big bust. Um, of course, Jake Locker, the glass man, dude had all the heart in the world, but I think you know he stepped on the wrong piece of grass and broke his ankle. So. Uh, that sucked. Kenny Britt showed a lot of promise, just he couldn't stay healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, the laundry list goes on. I'll save room for you to give some of the names. I must be pushing on the side of my mouth. Uh, Vince Young also, did you mention him? Mm -hmm. uh, so in a, an amazing probably the most incredible draft to have in 2020 the titans had six picks those six picks combined played 96 games in the nfl like, that, that's unbelievable 2020 was the worst draft. That, that is unbelievable like to have that um, uh, to to i mean to put it in comparison Cortland Finnegan alone played at 133 games. <laughs> so he alone played more than that entire draft class. Yeah. The Isaiah Wilson stat is just mind boggling. He, I wanted to use him as my worst draft bust ever in the history, but I knew we were doing the team thing. So I didn't. Um, Jamarcus yeah. Russell was away. And, and he was drafted late in the first round, but 29th. Yeah. I mean, but still, I mean, he was first a big hype from Georgia and, it's still a first round pick, and you played three snaps in the NFL. Yeah, that's that's the incredible stat to me. Three His snaps. stat line: <laughs> <laughs> zero tackles, zero everything, one game played, three snaps. 
amazing. Oh, it's it's incredible. Um, <laughs> Part partially, I think the 2020 was the real downturn for uh, J Rod there. Um, and uh, so we have uh, the, this the next topic: who suffered the most on draft night? Um, we have some explicits uh, on, on our our notes. Uh, I think that is that from Raj or is that from Tom? Who wrote that? <laughs> no more Titans. That was me. You guys yeah. were like support group. I'm like we don't want to hear that shit. Well, if you had a Raider fan on here, you'd be doing the same. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm, I need a drink. <laughs> oh boy all right fireball so, yeah the what what's uh, like the biggest yeah suffer the most so what do y'all think about that go ahead ron nfl just just your teams in general but i mean nfl is really the only draft that really matters that much the only draft you really watch right I, tom would all due respect, I mean, they just sucked. The Raiders had so many blown opportunities. It was pathetic. Um, and they were the Raiders. You know, they had budget. They were a name. They're silver and black. They just missed so many opportunities. It was just – and they were worse than the Lions for 15 years. Well, the, Ly- the Lions problem, they would go after the name. It was the name, and they would draft the name. And, of course – they never seem to pan out, except for Barry Sanders back in those days. But, um, yeah, they had a couple. Chris Spielman and Andre Ware. Uh, not Andre Ware. Uh, Herman Moore. So they Herman hit Moore. on a couple a couple good good picks. But for the most part, they just they went after the name, and it bit them in the ass. Yeah, and I, I will say this. The, the, I, I will defer to the Lions and the Raiders because the Titans have never had the chance to – really shit the bed like it's always been like oh there's been pieces in front of them like they never had the number one pick to be like oh yeah we're gonna completely fuck this up right and they've only been around for like 19 years as well i mean (laughs) right you guys went to a super bowl unlike the lions yeah Yeah, exactly which sucked like two years in and they were like vegas golden knights hey we're a new team we're yeah except the tennessee oilers there's two moments that I can recall that I wanted to like immediately sell my season that's, tickets. That's jealousy, by the way. From- I can't remember. Uh, it didn't. Not, well, I can't remember who the cornerback was behind Pac-Man, but I was adamantly pissed whenever we took Pac-Man. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember or, or recall that. Would um, it have been awesome? Could the Raiders have played? I a factor in that that was like one of their rare good picks yeah it, it may have been that yeah let me see what yeah. you're then philly about. signed him for a huge deal and then they realized he sucked it was just uh the afc west was terrible back then no i wanted uh carlos Hyde over bishop sankey and he was sitting of right there of bishop course you wanted of course I wanted, obviously <laughs> but i knew jake locker was the worst pick that they had made i was like jake, no, jake not. locker and that guy was Marcus- awful in the Marcus Mariota, I thought was one of the one of the worst picks too. I mean, horrible, different NFL, but again, stay away from Pac-12 QBs, man. Other than Troy Aikman, since then, and then the AJ Brown trade, uh, 
almost had a heart attack. Like it was, it was entree roll that I wanted over Pac Man. I knew we did a DB. Yeah, Florida yeah. State. He was a hell yeah. of a DB. And then Samari Rogers was back there. Does Robbie speak English? Because I'm starting to wonder. He definitely doesn't speak French or Russian. Or check my roll. It's not roll A. No, it's but you're like on trail rolly. No, on trail roll. Trail roll. Antrell was his name. Okay. Show some respect. Rob Robbie's not from the streets, so yeah. duh. Streets of Orange County, bro. Uh, the Raiders took Fabian Robinson that year. Washington. Oh, God. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers was sitting there at 24, too. Yeah, it was a bad draft for the Titans. Uh, so yeah. Bad. Um, all right, boys. Enough with the draft. Let's talk about uh, the America's pastime. Baseball's heating up now. Um, good series over the weekend for young for young clubs and both that are really hot right now. The Ray, Reds and the Braves. Uh, Braves end up taking the series two to one, but in a highly entertaining series. Um, the Young Guns came out to play. Um, Tom, I'll start with you. Baseball, it's back. I mean, the the pitch clock, the shift, the shift restrictions. It's exciting again, right? Uh, yes, I'm going to leave with this video and then uh, we'll hit on it when we get on the other side. All right. That is blitz to right center field. Off the top of the wall. David Cruz storms up to second base. He nearly had a home run. Pitch. First pitch in the air to right. Acuna back at the wall. Gone! One, two. Broke his bat. That's in the center. Base hit. Windmill on McCain. Scoring opportunities. De La Cruz, right center. Down base hit. Could he go three? India on third. India scores. It's a cycle. Yeah, I mean. Well, first thing first, how sweet are those Reds uniforms? Oh, the City Connect? Yeah, I yeah. like them. They're nice. Um, I don't think we've seen a player with the hype come up and back it up. Just absolutely back it up with Ellie De La Cruz. Um, his stat line here, and this is based on the other night, almost 300 batting, three home runs, 10 RBIs. I mean, this is 19 games played. OPS almost 900. It's these are numbers that that you're not supposed to be seeing from a kid that just got called up and and you guys are familiar with them playing in Chattanooga for the lookouts. But um, it's it's players like this. It's the, the 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 rule changes, the pitch clock, the games are shorter. People are going to the stadiums like we talked about last week. There's uh, an uptick in attendance, which this is the first time in, in years that it's actually increased. So six to 8%. And I think I saw a statistic would, would translate to like 65 to maybe even a hundred million more in revenue. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's so much more revenue that they're actually talking about dropping it back to 154 games now. They should like, have done that years uh, ago. Yeah, they need but, to. Now, Tom, you I mean, had, the Braves were sold out midweek and I've never seen that. Like the outfield, I'm like, 
wow, like that's, you know, it's Atlanta's a transient city, you know, that when they win, people show up and they are showing up. Uh, Tom, you brought up a point, though, that I hadn't thought about till you just brought it up. Um, when you say these kids aren't prepared for the major leagues, is there a changing of the guard in some sort or let's a change of philosophy that these kids in the minors have grown up with this pitch clock, with this lack of shifting? Are they more prepared now than they have in the past? Because they're used to this quick hitting and no shift. Because what Major League is doing, people that don't know, Major League Baseball has been experimenting in the minor leagues of these rule changes and putting them in the majors. So – is it more natural for them as opposed to the big leaguers now adjusting to this the first year? I mean, it could be, it could be, but you know, you get a player like Dela Cruz. He's just, well, yeah, he's, he's, God, stud regardless. he's God gifted talent. But then you look at here in Detroit, you got Spencer Torkelson who went number one, um, three years ago, uh, went right through single a right to double a right to triple a. And, and his trajectory was high, got to the big leagues and he just didn't mount to anything. Had a really bad year last year. Uh, he's been up and down. He hit two two big home runs today. But this season, he's been a little bit better. He's been a little bit more consistent. But um, I think there's it's a case of pressure. Are these are they prepared mentally, pressure wise, to handle the bright lights? As our play by play guy here, Jim Price likes to say that up in the big buildings, but. There's some players that they're they're made for it, and others that aren't. And and De La Cruz certainly is. And another guy that is is this guy right here, Ronald Acuna. Yeah, and we're, we're gonna get to him. I want to stick on De La Cruz for a second. Raj, uh, I know you saw him play in Chattanooga. I did too. When I first saw him, I was like, this guy's not gonna be here very long. He's he's a stud. No, and there's the uh, O'Neill Cruz is the Pittsburgh shortstop and. Corey Seager, 6'4", 6'5". Back in the day, shortstops were, you know, 5'8". Uh, what you know. was Ozzie Smith, like 5'8", five, 5'9"? Five, yeah. I think he was like 5'5 five uh, five or 6". Yeah. These are seen. The Angels had on their 2002 with Tim Salmon. Uh, oh, man, that shortstop was like three feet tall. But anyways, um, after O'Neill Cruz, you see this guy. And when we watched him live, I've told you guys, in Chattanooga – Double A, I've seen a few players that would just separated themselves. The first player I saw in like early 2000s was uh, Joey Votto. Uh, Jason Hayward, when he was healthy, was on the Birmingham team. He was next level. When I saw De La Cruz, we didn't hear a lot of hype about him. He was signed for $65,000, I believe, in 2018 out of the Dominican Summer League. Total Dodger move, who, by the way, started international scouting and in Central and South America, which, yeah, that, that helps me sleep at night. But COVID hit, and people didn't know he has a fraternal twin that's like 5'8". It's, he's just a freak. And his raw athletic – Do you pay for, like, Google Plus? How do you know all this? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know what I remember yesterday but I, I, or what I wore yesterday. Or, or but, uh, if you could like use Rain Man over here, <laughs> text messages, and, and you would be like so far ahead in life. Dude, fire, <laughs> oh, dude! I, I have a one-day erased memory. I'm a movie, but uh, no, I mean he. Uh, when you watch him, he has soft hands as a shortstop. When he first was like scouted, they said he was six-two. He's six-five. Like people didn't know anything about him. Uh, 
He's got a great arm. He's had the highest like uh, velo off the bat and on a grounder. Some people thought ever like 120 plus. Um, he's just raw, but pure, right? Like he he came up the hard way. He has a chip on his shoulder, so he's not like other kids that come up and like I don't mean to call it Torkelson. I don't know him or know of him, but De La Cruz certainly came up from nothing, and he proves it every day. And yeah, he he is a different type of dude, but um, I, I think there's just so much unknown about him. So we'll see when more people go through the orders and see him second, third time. But so far to have the cycle in your 15th game, let alone and the All Black City Connects. I mean, that was just straight up gangster, dude. That that was hard. I I was like, wow. And by the way. The combined score in that Brave series was 24 to 23, Atlanta. And, yeah. it, and it showed you that Atlanta jumped out early because of their starting pitching, but they have injuries on the back end. The Reds tried to climb back, but uh, the Braves are the class of baseball right now. It's not Tampa. And, uh, yeah. Great so. segue. Brandon, are the Braves right now the favorite to win it all? They are. Uh, we'll, put, we'll put the odds up on the screen, and we'll talk about it. So we have the Braves plus 360, Tampa plus 420, Dodgers plus 480, then a big jump to the Rangers, Astros mm-hmm. at plus 1,000. Brandon, if you've got your hard-earned Aruba vacation money <laughs> set aside, are you betting on the Braves? Probably. I mean, I like, I like where they're at. They're starting to – peak a little better and and come into but as you all know uh i'm a casual baseball fan so i don't really start watching until that about this time or after the all-star break um and it's not always the hot team that or the the best team that wins it's the hot team at the end so 100 you know, again this is like it, it's like betting on scotty scheffler to win every tournament because he's the number one in the world but is he gonna win every tournament Probably not, you know. So it's a coin flip. Um, I still like where the Dodgers are at as well. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I think will, I will take this. I do golf bets where you take, you know, three or four of your favorite ones and sprinkle a little money on all of them um, and hope one hits because uh, that's that's what the baseball playoff series is going to be. And that, boys and girls, is how you get to Aruba. Um, so we're at 51 minutes. Tom, quickly, who's your World Series favorite right now? I'm going to go Dodgers. I, I think they have the depth. They have the experience. They've got um, the best player, the, the most aggressive player, just all around Mookie Betts. He's, I, I love that guy. I, I just – I, I think – Hey, yeah, that props I mean, to Mookie for going to the home run derby. I like Mookie that. Betts. I don't want him in the home home run derby. I like that his wife said, hey, just try. Just have fun while you're there. I like that. Quickly, who do you got? If you're betting now. Five starting pitchers, three or four everyday players, and five relievers that are all in the IL, some for 60 days. It doesn't matter. I think the Braves are the best team. That being said, the best team does not win. It's who's hot. And I think it'll be someone that gets hot late. I don't know who it will be. It won't be the Reds. It won't be, you know, but 
Do y'all understand what the question was? <laughs> Who are you betting on right now? Not, I, I'll wait and see. I mean, Down the, the Dodgers had one of the best records right historically now? last year. And after that shit, and everybody would ask, oh, yeah, we're all Dodgers will win it. No. I'm starting so to wonder bet. if Raj speaks so The Braves are the best team in baseball. <laughs> Who are you betting on right now? Bet on. Right now, I'm going to bet on a random fucking team, uh, Texas Rangers. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you get a question answered. That's it. Plus 1,000. Good odds. Yeah, plus 1,000. I like it. That might sprinkle uh, a little on all right, that. So we'll just split a series about, against the Tigers. Let's talk about the AL. We have a list, but let's just start off with, is this playoff run for the Angels the most important playoff run, at least that I can remember? Because they've got to make it, I think, to keep – um, Otani, okay. or else he's gonna go, and and like mm-hmm. the guys, the unicorn of all unicorns. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Tom, what do you think? I heard a number that's floating around, and it the, the starting point 600 million. Oh, and uh, Marty, what's the owner's name? Marty, uh, or Artie Moreno, whatever, Marty, the, Marty Moreno. for the, the Angels, uh, says he has no problem playing in that that uh ballpark, so. But yes, he's not going to stay if if they don't win. But then you got to look at it. If if they're spending six plus hundred million on him, where's the money coming from for the other players? But I do think this last uh, half of the season is is crucial if the Angels want to keep Shohei. But I don't think there's a whole lot of other teams out there that are willing to open the pocketbook to that extent, and and maybe three at the most. Uh, my my dark horse is the Seattle Mariners. There's always you don't, the you don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I would assume, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, obviously, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. Yankees aren't. Their their payroll's already almost that. They they're not going to double their payroll. Cubs, you, you, no Cubs. You're looking at maybe maybe the mm-hmm. Dodgers, Seattle. Mate, the Dodgers are going to try to go hard, but ethnic ethnic population does matter. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Shohei, when it comes to marketing, and the Dodgers are and the New York Yankees, the two biggest teams in Japan that can market themselves. Well, so, and the Red Sox just got that uh, second baseman, Yoshida, who yes. is friends with uh, Otani. So there, there's a possibility right there. So, too. so, so, Tom, you always have, and Raj, you have a handle on this. So, hometown question. Um, it seems to me the Braves have a young team all locked up in the small or in the reasonable contracts. Can oh, they, can they, get, can they get into play? Sure. No, not that's not their MO. Actually, Anthopolis is akin to Friedman, or he was. They don't do that. And that's how they've been successful. The Angels are the antithesis with huge contracts to Pujols 10 years when he was 31. Uh, Trout, Anthony Rendon was in MVP at like 30 plus, who's been terrible. They can't afford Shohei. The Braves don't do that and they don't need to. He traded when they had a catcher, uh, Darno for Sean Murphy, who was up to be uh, a free agent and re signed him for bargain basement, who's an all star. They're not going to spend 600 million on that on him and they don't need it because. They are a, a very smart organization. Uh, plus, not a huge uh, Japanese population in Atlanta. Oh, and I, I look at it like this: like you're either, you know, trying to put 
fans in the seats and, you know, have, have this huge name that draws in people and sells tickets and all this stuff, or are you going to try and win a game or, you know, win a world series? And I mean, they're making a push for it, but like you guys said, if they pay him this much money, it's not going to have anyone around him. And that's all you're going to be able to do is put fans in the seats and, you know, draw on his name and he'll wow in some games here and there. But other than that, they're not going to win anything. So we'll see who opens up the checkbook. Yeah. I mean, it, you figure you got him and you got trout right there. You're, you're looking at but they close, still close to, until this close to a hundred million just between those two players. Yeah. So, but I, I think what ain't the, the angels have going for them is there's not a lot of, teams out there that are willing to to uh open the checkbook so to speak uh, mike illich is is long passed away so he'll never be coming to the to the tigers so we don't have to worry about that i mean it's a lot for one guy um it is a lot someone's gonna gonna do it though someone's gonna pull a trigger um all right so uh sports is uh is one part of this segment. The other part of the, uh, what we do here is kind of just, we're starting to transition into, um, life and kind of how we handle things or things that, you know, we're going through that other people are probably doing kind of the same. And one of the things, um, I'll start off with some backdrop of how this kind of came, uh, to be talked about was, you know, you have your everyday kind of, interactions and your riffs and just friction among people and um i was just at the beach with uh my some of my family and some of my cousins and all this and there's 11 of us but nonetheless so it's just talking about dinner talking about you know what you want to do do you want to like go play golf or do you want to do whatever uh play pickleball or whatever and you know I can I can either be you know a really easy person to get along with or a really hard person to get along with. Uh, it just kind of depends on the mood and whatever what you have. And we're talking about dinner, and they wanted to go to Mexican food. Uh, I love Mexican food, but not at the beach. And so I was like, no, I'm going to eat seafood. And my cousin Tom looked at me, and he was like. I get it. You say you don't want what you want to do. You're not going to do what you don't want to do. Cool. End of discussion. And I was like, huh. I was like, maybe you're the first person that's ever kind of perceived me how I perceive myself. Um, it's a long, that's a long story short of being like, there's a huge difference of how you perceive yourself and how you think others perceive you. And with that being said, I will start. Like, I think... I perceive, and then, and there's a disconnect, right? And so I think I perceive myself as a, you know, caring, nice person, a good friend, person that will reach out um, and will do things for other people. And then, but hearing, you know, him say that, which is very accurate what he said, I was like, well, people perceive me as, kind of selfish a little bit of a jerk standoffish um selfish i guess 
And it's like, wow. I was like, there's a huge disconnect between how I see myself and how people see me, see me. And so now it's kind of reflection time for me to be like, I've got to merge those two things. And it's kind of eye opening. And it's something that you need to, or at least I think I need to uh, stand back and reflect on um, how I merge those two viewpoints <laughs> and kind of make that happen, make it at least somewhere in the middle where I can at least be a, an approachable jerk. Uh, so that's kind of my story of where this uh, topic kind of came from. And we're going to try to do this every week. Um, who wants to go next? Kind of this. So how do you think? I just interpret what you just said quickly. Family is the worst because they think they know you by relation, but they don't know shit because you never talk to them and whatnot. If you were selfish and whatnot, you would do what I do and lay foundation. Like, okay, first of all, that's not the beach. That's a shitty golf area. I was in San Diego, went to law school there, lived there for five, six years. That's also next to Mexico, so I know all these things. You didn't do that. That's something I would have done. And you can call me selfish and full of myself, which I still am, but you are not. So you don't have anything to worry about. I also don't give a shit about what people think about me. I know what I am. Um, I think I thought I was cooler when I was younger, and now there are some doubts, mainly from like those that – I'm closest to, but you are the farthest thing from self. Well, no, 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 this is, this isn't you. No, but you're talking about perception. No, no, how do you perceive yourself? Well, you're doubting yourself. No, 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 it doesn't matter. How do you perceive yourself? I mean, we live in a passive aggressive society in the South. So I sometimes like to fuck with people. Excuse the expression, push buttons. Show one thing, be another. Um, but that's that's my interpretation, you know. Whether I rationalize or not, uh, I'm pretty awesome. And that's really all I... Do I go home and cry after this when I sober up in the mirror? Yeah, I, I, I do. But. All right, so the flip side of that, how do you think people perceive you? You know, I, I, I believe personally it's a reflection of your own... I understand that's cyclical of, of your own self, right? Like if you're intimidated by me or my, you may talk trash or whatnot. Um, I think many may be threatened by arrogance and or confidence and otherwise um, it's probably not positive. I, I tend to be social. Like our neighbors think my wife is like mean and they're scared of her, but she just doesn't talk to people. Whereas I do. So I, I think perception is skin deep. And you, you can easily override that by just opening a right. You know, to, to, to pick that apart, though, so you think people perceive you as arrogant and no, arrogant. okay. And now, is there is there a connection? Or is that the same thing that you perceive yourself? Or is there a connection part? No, I sometimes I think I insecurely enjoy that perception just to prove people wrong, which is also very shallow, and I I recognize that. I'm extremely introspective when it comes to myself, but I can't change shit. And that's the hard part. Changing, uh, not not understanding or acknowledging. Well, we have a little shots fired on the message board for people that can't see. Um, River City Media, um, and probably one Randall Cunningham, says, Robbie saved my daughter's future, and yet he is such a crappy fantasy football player. And that's what you're talking about 
perception not meeting reality, right? So <laughs> I mean, of course, our favorite is our future. I'm definitely <laughs> not a crappy football player. You know? yeah. Yeah. Um, Brandon, what do you think? Right? What do you think? Both, you know, how do you perceive yourself and you? how do others perceive you? Um, I perceive myself probably empathetic and uh, I'm kind of a chameleon. Like I fit into situations really well with different groups of people, you know, whoever it is, I, I just kind of, I'm very malleable in those situations. So, um, I feel that way. Yeah. Now, adaptive. Um, you are you yeah, definitely I'm that. adaptive, which, you know, definitely that. there again, I think helps me in my career as well, um, with sales and, and doing stuff like that. So, so, so a stranger, a stranger walks in the room meets you for 15 minutes what do you think they think i liked him right away i thought you were a douchebag but right away i was like this guy's pretty <laughs> um i would think it's close to those lines uh the only thing is the downside of that is sometimes i do care too much what people think so i may i may um be overindulgent in some of those attributes to people so i could come off as i don't know just kind of fake sometimes yeah uh so i don't know that's when, when i prepare someone for a deposition i get them to write give me your three traits of what your best friend best friend would say about you the three things your neighbor would say about you the three things your worst enemy would say about you and see how many of those cross over. Sure. And it's just kind of an interesting kind of paradox. Yeah. Now another side, like if people don't I mean, see have- that much is I have a very long fuse. Like I, I'm very easy going laid back. Like it takes a lot to get me pissed off. But when I do like I flip out, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like an atomic bomb. So um, Bad. You do. Where is this? And, and, and Tom, the three of us know you the least. So I'm very curious about this from you. Uh, obviously, because I, well, me and Brandon, at least, we've had the fortunate uh, experience of meeting you. And so we saw you on, and we had this perception of what we perceive of you and then getting to know you. So I, I'm interested to see what you, what you say about this question. Uh, I, I I think I can emulate a lot of what Brandon says. I I feel like I put other people before me, and 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 I, and I get this from my wife because she's she's very empathetic. So I've kind of taken on a lot of her traits. Um, and and I think my weakness really is I I worry too much about what other people think of me, and I think that's a that 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 comes from working midnight shift for 25 years, 18 years old. I went and worked the midnight shift and um, I never really had that interaction with, with people my age going out and experiencing certain things. So I, I, I think I basically lost a lot of perception per se, as we're talking about on how I'm, I am supposed to be in life. So this day shift thing is you know within the last five years is all new to me so uh, i'm very hypercritical about how i present myself to, towards other people 
and I know that's probably not the right thing to do. And I'm trying to lean away from that because I feel like the more I put myself out there for certain people, I, it, it ends up biting me in the ass in the long run. So I try to keep people at an arm's length these days. And um, I don't know if that pushes people away or not, but it, I'm comfortable about where, where I am at in that regard. And, and we're going to I have to admit that I was massively insecure for at least 20 years of my life. Oh, 100%. It, it kind of flipped. So I didn't just grow up this way where I stopped giving a shit. So we'll get into that more because this is something that's extremely important to all of us and really to everyone if you're able and secure enough to admit it. Well, sure. and let me ask, you know, you two that are fathers, Tom's a stepfather, uh, did, did having kids change? Cause was it, I imagine once you have kids, you're like, there's a whole hell of a lot to care about more than what people think about me. Is that accurate? No, for sure. hundred percent. For me as a stepfather, I'm learning every, every visit and whatnot. And I have learned that I'm very selfish and I tend to put myself at the front of the table when it comes to the family. And that is absolutely wrong. And I'm trying to change my ways when it comes to that. And um, so I, it's made me learn a little bit more about myself and how I handle the stresses and the pressures. I mean, you guys are, are biological fathers uh, with the exception of, of Robbie. Um, so um, it, those are different pressures I can imagine. So with me, I'm dealing with, a whole nother uh, human being that plays into their heads that gets into my head. And so it's, it's, it's a learning curve for sure that, that I'm open to, to uh, doing the best I can. It's more challenging, but you're still raising a child and it doesn't matter biological or not. Yeah, um, to answer your question, Rob, I grew up with very critical family and, and not critical in the sense that it was just Indian nature and I'll expand on that later, but every decision was sort of, and that's how my mother grew up, and I'm the same. And it makes one question their, you know, decision making, which is a dichotomy. I feel like I'm in a working dichotomy, and I can be very confident in many decisions, but like, I don't like multiple choice. Like, you know, passing the bar, I destroyed the essays. But when I did the multi-state, which is a multiple choice section, I barely, barely made it. And we're, we're not going to go into that, but I just questioned it. I hate, I just second guess myself. And I'm that same way. With everything he does, and, and I mean well, and my mom means well, about like what we want someone to be based on what we are. And sometimes as a parent, I think that's, you want your kid to be, a better version of you, but at the same token, you can be extremely critical, extremely judgmental, and to make them question their decisions, which is very hard. I mean, that's the opposite of what you're trying to do. And um, it, it's something that you realize in hindsight, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's just something, you know, in this exercise, and this is part of the segment we're going to do during the summer, is just kind of get people thinking, well, one, if you're going through these problems or if you're thinking of just these things, like you're not alone and just kind of talk through them and just some different exercises that I, that 
seem to help and just kind of just talk about what, what, what you want people to think about you and do they think about that? And is, are you being true? Cause you can be true to yourself and also uh, portray what you want to portray, but you can be true to yourself and portray something different because you're just so worried about being true to yourself and not necessarily thinking what other people think. So it's just a kind of a balancing act and just think about other people and how you want to be perceived. Acknowledgement. Um, it is, is the first and most important step acknowledgement. And yeah, yeah. I believe if we talk about things like this, then maybe that's a start for someone else. Oh yeah. They're, they're, I mean, hopefully, hopefully there's a whole group of people that are going to get on our show and skip right down to this segment and just watch this segment while they, you know, drive to work or, whatever they do or, you know, drink coffee in the morning and they can just listen to us and, and we're going to progress and we're going to get deeper into this stuff. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But, but the reason why we put this right before bet your nuts is because we want to keep you on for the free money. And so that's what we're getting to now. So coming up now, it's time for bet your nuts. All right, boys. I'm not gonna lie. I'm on a cold streak that might as well put me in Antarctica in the winter. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna get mine out of the way because they're gonna. It's gonna gloss over people's ears. I'm just gonna say it. It's a road course. It's in Chicago. I'm taking the best road course driver, uh, Tyler Reddick, plus seven fifty. I think he pulls through. Larson's no, plus Larson. 700. I'm going to take slightly better odds. I'm going Tyler Reddick plus 750. Please, God, or I'm going to be sleeping in a damn box. <laughs> At least it'll be air conditioned, right? Yeah. <laughs> Raj, what do you got? I'm actually going to go to tomorrow in a day game on a Friday, which is Chicago Cubs uh, at home against the Guardians. Uh with uh, Justin Steele against Caleb Quantrill. Uh, it's minus 160 for the Cubs, which is surprising to me. Uh, Steele is nasty. And uh, I, I think Vegas is believing that because it's a day game, he won't be the same. But, I mean, he he is nasty. And I, I think they will crush them. All right. I'm going to keep it with golf as usual because there's not a whole lot going on right now. Um, going to the Rocket Mortgage there at Detroit Golf Club, I think it is. Yeah, Detroit Golf Club, right there in Tom's backyard. Um, I'm going to look at Ricky Fowler right now. He's He's been really, really hot. Uh, not to win it, but I like Ricky Fowler top five is plus 200. <laughs> Um, he's, he's been right there and he's playing really, really well right now. And then I've got another little small caveat tomorrow only it's the, uh, Ricky Fowler versus Finau and Joe Dunham. Uh, he's plus plus one twenty, and I like his matchup against those two guys too. So, all right, Tom. Yes. Uh, I'm going to stay 
in uh, Detroit, as I like to call it, the Tony Finau Classic because he's won back-to-back. But I don't think he's going to do that this year. He's uh, currently in 144th. He is even, so he may make the cut, but we'll see. Uh, I, too, like Ricky Fowler, I think the last major he played really well. He's favored at plus 1,000 to win. He's currently uh, in 14th, tied at 5-under. This is his... This is his tournament, basically. Rocket Mortgage is the, his number one sponsor. So, um, fun fact: Accenture, my company I work for, um, is involved with it, and there was an opportunity we had to go down and, and volunteer. Still, may do that. Depends on the weather, but um, maybe you'll see some pictures of me down there if the weather uh, gets a little better. But uh, give me uh, Fowler to win plus one thousand. All right, and once again, please like, subscribe, share, follow, all the good social media stuff. Um, We're getting to the final words now. Um, We will be brief with these guys. We've been taking a little bit longer um, than we want to. We're keeping you guys on the treadmill or out walking, out drinking a little longer than maybe you want to. Uh, Brandon, what do you got for the final words? Um. Not a ton today, man, really. Uh, I, I like our new segment, Misunderstood, so everyone just stay tuned for that. Uh, we're going to be filling up space and keeping you guys entertained and hopefully um, you know, getting people to, to actually start talking to other people if they have issues. So, Yeah. Uh, Tom, what do you got? Uh, real quick, I, I my godfather's daughter – is in dire need of a kidney transplant. And I'm actually going to go and take the test to see if I qualify as a donor. Um, This is something that's kind of touched my heart the last few days. Um, And it's just, you, you have a feeling sometimes that comes over you like, like this is your purpose. Um, So I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a phone call tomorrow and start that process. Um, Do it. If, if you have the opportunity to be some sort of a donor or even donate blood, uh, you never know what your, your donation can do for another human being's life. And uh, it, it, this may be my purpose. Uh, I feel pretty, pretty compelled by it. So um, life is bigger than you. And if you have the opportunity to um, help out another person, then man, that I don't see anything better than that. So. Uh, the kidney foundation is, is the organization that I'm going to reach out to. So, um, yeah. So Nobody we'll talk after, them. after the show, Tom, about that. Um, okay, so Raj. um, I, uh, I don't know, Tom, if you got my, uh, oh, yeah. So rest in peace, Rosie girl. Uh, she was our rescue. We had one little tiny dog that we had rescued my wife and I's first kid. And uh, she has one eye. She was abused by her previous owner. And uh, when she had puppies in the shelter, she was so protective of them that a bigger dog remembered once the puppies got adopted, they came out and found her in her mouth. She followed me everywhere when we were in Petco when they have those like, you know, adoptive uh, presentations, if you will. And um, once we heard her story, whether bullshit or not, we were like, wow. And she was a fiercely protective. The top picture in the upper left, I was a passenger in an auto accident where the driver fell asleep, sober, 
despite perceptions. Um, and she didn't leave me. Uh, the bottom is uh, Red Rider BB gun, or sorry, in the middle. The bottom left is last couple of days. And uh, yeah, one-eyed dog who lost her eye to blunt force trauma. She was also a gangster thug life. She would uh, she'd beat up other dogs around her. She scared our giant dog over here, Phoebe. Um, you know, I have very little compassion for humans, but for dogs, they're part of our lives. They shape who we are. They're the most loyal creatures on earth. And yeah, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll miss Thug Life uh, <laughs> till the end, man. She was. She was a unforgettable dog. She died Monday in my arms. By the way. Hmm. Sorry about that. Sixteen. 16 we think we don't know the rescue my wife says i have a black heart she says that the first time she almost saw a tear was when the dog died which Mm. i I had a tear but i I almost cried making that graphic for you man (laughs) yeah i'm almost crying thinking about my dog that died um well yeah i had something to say but it's totally not important at the moment nothing uh, is when you follow tom man He's tom that's a that's heart. a great thing that you're doing um raj i'm so sorry about your dog um and i guess my final words are um yeah, this is what friends are for and to um you know pick up not necessarily the slack but pick up a text message or get on a show like this when things are going on in your world that you can't control. And this is kind of an escape, uh, which kind of goes with misunderstood segment. Like there's, there's things going on in everyone's life that we don't know about. And so I guess in just in humanity, give people a pass every once in a while. Not everything has to be so GD angry. Uh, Just calm down. And uh, respect that someone next to you, in front of you, or behind you, maybe having a bad day or a bad month or a bad week, and let's just all take that into account. Um, Nor do we have to measure, by the way. Some may be worse than others, but everyone's issues are relative, and it's okay to talk about it. I think yeah. people swallow things because of that fact, and. Um, it, it's okay to talk about it. it. It's not something that you measure versus another. Yeah, and it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, American Gladiators uh, documentary on Netflix, uh, Nitro said that, yeah, boys don't cry, but men do. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Like that. Um, without further ado, boys and girls, thanks for watching. We'll be back next week uh, with brand new topics and brand new conversations. Thanks again, and we are out. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reckless Speculation. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube searching Reckless Speculation. Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to catching you right here next week with another exciting episode of Reckless Speculation. Cheers.